Hello, it's Jenny Carr once again with the Silver Travel Podcast. And today I'm talking to a man on an island. It's Rob Ashton Kane, and he is the product and customer services manager for Just Corsica. Now there's an island. Rob, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. So just give us a little brief overview of Corsica. Tell me a little bit more. It's not that big, is it? No, no. It's uh, it's about 60 kilometres west to east and about 160 kilometres north to south. It's not very big at all, although it's incredibly mountainous. Uh, it's known as the mountain in the sea, which means that it's not the easiest place to get around, although the, the road networks have been improved recently or within the last 20, 25 years. So it's a lot easier than it used to be. It's known by the French as l'île de beauté, which means the island of beauty, literally, which is not a misplaced name at all. Uh, it's incredibly green all year round, despite the fact that we obviously have Mediterranean temperatures here. It can be knocking on the door of 37, 38 degrees in the summer. Seldom does it fall below 10 degrees, even in the winter. It's a very interesting mix of French and Italian, but with little snippets of North African in the past, there have been, obviously, uh, the British have been here for a short period of time. The Germans were here for a short period of time. But it is a département or two départements of France. So administratively, it's ruled by the French. So the prevailing language is French, although you will find every road sign is in Corsican and then in French. So it's uh, there's a, um, a very strong nationalist feel to the island. The Corsicans are not French, they're Corsican. But admittedly, there is a very big Italian influence in terms of the architecture and the food, although obviously with the, uh, the French ownership of the island dating back for 100 and odd years now that uh, clearly there is a, a French influence in there as well. So uh, it's a great place to come on holiday. It's a great place to come and discover real beauty and history, excellent food and wine and fabulous beaches. Sold to the lady in the white jumper. Um, <laughs> Rob. Just picking up there, because I do like languages, not very good at them. Corsican, what kind of language is that? Now, that is an interesting mix. That's where a lot of the North African tends to get involved. The Moors have had a, um, a, a, a an ancient involvement in the island. If you look at the, the the flag, the national flag of the island, it's the Moors' head. And they they left their mark both in terms of certain cultural issues, but also some of the old language. You often get strange looking words where you have G-H-J-U running contemporaneously. But then obviously with the Italian influence as well, that's kind of watered some of it down from what would have been very North African, Moorish tribal dialect even into something which is a little bit more recognisable. But it is uh, it is its own language. It's an official language. It tends only to be spoken by a relatively small proportion of the population, particularly the elder elements, and even less so written because everybody seems to spell the word, a particular word differently, depending on which part of the island they come from. Well, that is fascinating. I mean, it's still quite nice to have that kind of quirky oddness. And the mm. idea of its own language means very much that there'll be a kind of identity to the island that isn't just straight French, straight Italian. Absolutely. Tell me about the food. I'm big on food. Yeah, well, I mean, it's again, it's a superb blend of, of French cuisine and uh, Italian flamboyance backed up by superb quality local produce. So, you know, it is a, it is a foodie's heaven. As I say, it draws on 
both of those those elements. But then there are their, their national dishes. One of the favourite is what they call the civet de sanglier, with sanglier's wild boar. And it's a wild boar casserole. It's cooked very slowly with olives because there's a lot of olives on the island. And chestnuts, because again, there are lots of chestnuts on the island that grow naturally. So that is that is one of the, the signature dishes. Because of the history of the island, a lot of the uh, villages are found up in the mountains because the uh, all the trouble that's happened to Corsica has come from the sea. So they, they ran away from the sea and they could see who was coming. But as a consequence of which, obviously, a lot of the food is country food, shall we say. It's meats, goat, lamb. Not a lot of beef eaten here because the grazing isn't very good. But um, strangely for a Mediterranean island, seafood is not a big thing here. It's quite difficult to get. It's getting better now, but in the past, because all the trouble came from the sea and then in the 50s when the Americans left the island and helped the Corsicans by getting rid of mosquitoes, they sprayed everywhere with paraquats and all that ended up in the food chain in the sea. So there are still fewer and fewer, obviously, members of the elder element of society in Corsica that won't eat anything that comes out of the sea because they believe it's poisonous, but it certainly isn't. It might not be cheap, but it's excellent quality. So very interesting. And just thinking about going into the mountains, there are some fantastic hikes and walks if you've got the legs for it, aren't there? Absolutely. I mean, there over the past sort of 10, 15 years, there has been a real move to better identify walking paths, to establish the fact that, a bit like they've got in the UK, the right to roam. All the paths are very well marked. Most tourist information offices will be able to provide you with a plan of a particular walk or a booklet with a range of walks in it. Depending on what your capabilities are, you can you can go for a nice amble into the into the Mackey, the um, sort of the, the, the scrub, just a nice little walk around, or you can take on some or all of the GR20, which is uh, a very well-renowned walk that uh, goes from the northwest down to the southeast. But for an accomplished walker, that takes fourteen days. So maybe you can you can you can take little snippets of it depending on where you are. It it caters for all levels of walking, definitely. That's fantastic because it is lovely to spend a day or two away from the crowds, quote mm. unquote. And, and Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's sounding to me as if you're actually in Corsica right now. Oh, I am. I am. I've lived here for 17 years with my wife, who is uh, also in the tourism industry. Our son is 22 years old. He moved away five years ago, uh, but he was brought up here. So, um, yes, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's our life. Where do most people head to? I mean, your capital is Calvi, I think? No, the capital, well, not strictly speaking a capital, the major administrative town is Ajaxio. We have two departments here, as I mentioned before, Otokos and Kostusud. Kostusud is where Ajaxio is, down on the um, southwest coast. And then Bastia is the, the primary town for Otokos, which is on the, on the northeast. I live in the northwest side. I live in Il Rousse, which is not far from Calvi, which you've just mentioned. The main destinations tend to be the, the northwest and the south, the southeast, particularly Porto Vecchio, Bonifacio. But as, as I said before, it's the island of beauty. It doesn't matter where you go. It's fantastic. So, you know, if people quite enjoy a sort of pretty town with beaches, where are we going? I suppose I'm biased, but then I, I think... I can honestly say that it's an objective bias, is that I I would certainly point people towards Il Rousse, Calvi perhaps, but Il Rousse perhaps more than anywhere. 
there are four airports on the island. The nearest to Eorus is Calbi, which is not even half an hour's drive. Bastia, which is about an hour's drive. Ilrus ticks so many boxes. It's uh, an authentic Corsican town. It was actually the uh, the place where Pascal Pauli, who was the founder of democracy, his remains were buried actually in the in Westminster Abbey. If anybody ever wants to go there, and he built. Ilrus, it used to be called Paulina after him, but it's got the old town with buildings dating back to the uh, end of the 18th or middle of the 18th century. It's got two fabulous sandy beaches, literally next to the main car park in the middle of the town. Plethora of restaurants, shops, cafes, bars. But then from Ilrus, sorry, you can you can get to Calvi. You can either drive or you can go on a little train that runs up and down the coast. You can then go into the Balania villages. Beautiful little honey-hued uh, villages that are perched on the hills overlooking the, the Maquis and out to sea. You're only three quarters of an hour from Corte, which is one of the ancient capitals with uh, with its fabulous uh, Belvedere and Citadel. And it's easily accessible and it ticks so, so many boxes. It sounds gorgeous. Now, one of the things that I know you've mentioned, which has sort of interested me, is the idea of the most Corsican of Corsican towns? Yeah, well, it's Sarten, which is which is down in the uh, in the southwest. It's actually between Ajaccio and uh, Bonifacio. It's so called simply because the architecture and the, the stone that is used there is different from anywhere else on the island, and it is very somber almost menacing depending on what the weather is like but it's it's an incredibly um alluring kind of an atmosphere you walk around the cobbled streets and all the rest of it and you feel very much within the corsican population for want of a better term it is staunchly corsican as i mentioned i think before when we spoke uh the corsicans are not french they're not italian they're corsican and the Sartén developed a reputation for being, quote, the most Corsican of Corsican towns. It was actually a, a guy called Prosper Merime who was writing, wrote a book back in the 1800s, I believe, um, who christened it as such. And, uh, and the name stuck ever since. So how do the Corsicans feel about the Brits coming there on holiday? Are they hugely welcoming and warm and do they speak English? Now, it's it's interesting, actually, because I, I mentioned before Pascal Pauli, who was the, the father of the people, his, his official title. He was effectively, the, the concept of democracy was born in, uh, in Corsica. He was basically very, very good friends with George V, so much so that when Pauli was continuing to fight for independence against the Pisans and ultimately then the French. Twice when he was exiled, he was exiled to London at the um, as a guest of the king. And in fact, he was buried originally in Westminster Abbey. There is a, a, a plaque there to commemorate him as one of the most influential people in modern Europe. And there are excellent links, excellent understanding by the Corsicans of that old link and what the what the, the the British did. Obviously, it was under British ownership for two years as well. Nelson lost his eye at the Battle of uh, Calvi, the Siege of Calvi. Not many people know that. And there is still a very much a, a welcoming attitude towards the Brits. And also, most people will speak sufficient English to be able to understand. I know, obviously, a lot of English have a smattering of French. 
So between the two of them, you get by. You certainly won't starve, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's that's really good to know. Now, it's an island, so we're going to have boat trips, aren't we? And yeah. Where would you recommend going? What what kind of things? I know there's the Lavezzi Islands. The, yeah, well, the Lavezzi Islands are kind of the... The, the trade between Corsica and Sardinia, you can get to it from, from both of those destinations. The amount of tourism permitted to Lavezzi Islands has reduced recently because uh, it's become very much protected. There were too many, considered too many people going there. But there are plenty of other places to to to, to experience on boat trips. I mean, I mentioned Bonifacio before, there's the famous cliffs, the uh, the white cliffs there, and the, uh, the sea caves where you've got lots of operators that can take you right into the caves crystal clear water it's just uh, the the the, uh, the rock forms is magnificent you can go to the Il Sanguinaire which are off uh, Ajaccio there is the ex UNESCO World Heritage Site at Scandola where you have a lot of protected fauna and flora uh, with a little village there called Girolata that you can only really get to either by boat or on the back of a donkey down from the main road which would take you about 12 hours then in the north of the island, you've got the Desert des Agriades, Cap Corse, and basically the Balagna coastline going down. It's it's often said that the best way to see Corsica is from the sea, uh, but obviously to experience it, you've got to be on land. But there are there are a multitude of operators that deal with bigger craft, medium sized crafts, uh, but also private operators that will more than happily take people out in groups, you know, four, five, ten. Very accessible. That sounds magical. Mm. One other thing I wanted to ask you about was the wine route. Yeah. Do you like well, our wine? Yes. Well, there's there are nine uh, appellations origine on the island, some better known than others, some producing more than others. Generally speaking, it's acknowledged that the, the best wine region or the, 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 the region that produces the best wines is actually Patrimonio, which is uh, at the, the foot of Cap Cos, just next to um, Saint Florent. There are, if my memory serves me correctly, over 60 caves that you can go and visit, do your tasting, which they buy, ideally. Um, but there are there are a lot of other uh, well-known areas of vineyards around Calvi, uh, around Ajaccio, down near Sartène, there are a lot of wines there. And when we say the route of the wines, there are several wine routes that you can just basically follow, depending on which part of the island that you're in, that will take you to, you know, to the actual vineyards themselves or to the to the cave that are usually in the, sort of the nearest village or town. Fabulous. Well, that sounds like a good day out as well. Absolutely, yes. Now, just we've just got a moment or two, but what kind of accommodation are we looking at here on Corsica? Is it hotels? Is it villas, apartments? What have we got? Whatever you want. There's a, there's a, there, is a, there is a wide range of stuff. As a company, we tend to concentrate on hotels or residence hotelière, which is basically apartments that have a hotel service behind it. Because we tend to find that the sorts of people that come from the United Kingdom don't tend to be large groups of people, generally speaking, not looking for big villas. It may be a couple, it may be a small family. If it is a, a large group of people, we, we do have the accommodation featured in our, in our program that can accommodate them. But, um, a lot of the, a lot of the people that do come to Corsica because there is such a wealth of things to see and do tend to want to tour around a little bit. And as a consequence of which, obviously, given the constraints that are often placed by owners on 
the period of time that you can actually rent an apartment or a, a villa being week to week, there's a lot more flexibility afforded by the hotels. And you've got the whole range of hotels. You've got two star, up to five star, top of the range, luxury. Depends what you're looking for and what uh, what sort of budget you've got. But um, there is something something to cater for everybody's taste. So when does the season open, Rob? Generally speaking, a lot of it uh, hinges around when Easter is. If it's if Easter's fairly late, then a lot of places tend to sort of open then and then stay open. If it's early, sometimes they won't even open at all. Sometimes they may open just for a, a week, 10 days or something like that. But generally speaking, you could say probably certainly the beginning of May and it the, the season is uh, is is becoming a little more prolonged now fortunately on the island so certainly at least till the end of September easily mid-October a lot of it depends upon the availability of the flights from the UK which uh, fortunately we know that um, a certain orange airline um, is at the moment at least starting to operate from the end of March in 2023 so um you know that opens up a much bigger opportunity for people to come and you know to be honest with you yeah it's march you can't be quite as confident about the weather but if you want to avoid the crowds um and you are independent then that's a great opportunity for people to come and explore absolutely because sometimes actually if it's a bit cooler you can get out and do those hikes more correct and so forth yeah and also people are really glad to see you that's <laughs> true yes <laughs> quite nice as well you're not so good for um taking boats around the island if the sea no no i mean in addition to the weather you will find that obviously a lot of the uh, service providers in that context haven't got themselves going just yeah, at that yeah. time so it, it is very much more for those that are a little bit more independent at that time of the year but certainly by the beginning of may everything is, is oh. up and running Perfect. Well, thank you. I've My learned, pleasure. I've learned a lot. I didn't actually know the British were there, so that is always good to know. But I think now I'm thinking harder. We've been on almost every island in the <laughs> Med at some point, haven't we? True. So if you want to find out more, you can go to Silver Travel Advisor and type in Just Corsica. Loads of information will come up. And if you've got any questions, you can email us inquiries at silvertravel.co.uk and we'll get back to Rob if we need to. Thank you so much, Rob. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Jenny.